Man, it's been a while since we've been able to roast a finale. Like <laughs> I know. This might be the most roasting we've ever done for any podcast episode thus far that I can this think feels of. Feels good. Hi everybody, welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know. Well, then you know where we are. We are at the end <laughs> of season two of Legend of Korra. <laughs> Ooh, we made it. Uh, did we? Did we? Is this the? It doesn't feel like we won. It doesn't feel like we got anything good at the end of this no. race. It feels like you're running to the finish line and someone's holding out the trophy and then they just like clothesline you across the face with it just as you cross the finish line. It feels oh like God. it feels like the finish line was like uh they're like you're like in the Wiley Coyote Roadrunner cartoons where he like you paint like a fake finish line on a brick wall. We just ran right into it. Yep, that's yep. <laughs> That's a pretty good description of exactly how we feel right now. Yeah, because we have just watched the last two episodes, and um, uh, yeah, they happened. So let's just jump right in. Um, the first of these two is episode 13, Darkness Falls. <laughs> what? Masterfully written by Joshua <laughs> Hamilton. I... I, I somebody else must have told him what to do like he's like there's somebody up there above him that was just like write it he's like i don't want to <laughs> but like joshua write it do it <laughs> do it <laughs> i shouldn't yeah <laughs> yes. it's not the avatar way <laughs> Literally. Oh my god. god. Uh, Always forgetting the Star Wars. You gotta love it. <laughs> it's directed reluctantly by Colin Heck. Animated beautifully by but tragically mm. by Studio Mir. All these adjectives. And the episode aired on November twenty second, twenty thirteen. And yep. real quick, before you get to the rating, uh, I actually had something to say about the episode airing. There's a fun fact involving the episode airing mm. because that, the November 22nd airing of 2013, that was the TV airing. There was an online airing that we'll talk about in the fun fact. Just want to throw that in there real quick. Okay. So yeah. episode aired with an asterisk, November 22nd, right. 2013. And the IMDb rating of the illustrious Darkness Falls is... I can't be reading that right. It, well, it's 8.6 <laughs> out of 10. All right, well, I'm glad this is somebody's, you know... <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> get somebody's jam. Take us away with some fun facts, Amanda. All right. So on November 15th, 2000... I was going to say 20. 2013, Coronation, which is a Tumblr page that is still active, I believe, challenged the fans uh, to rebog a short video posted by Janet Varney, the voice of Cora, 10,000 times within 12 hours of its posting. If they did so, the final two episodes of season two would be available on Nick.com at midnight that same night. So the task was completed by Cora fans within two hours, thus prompting the unlocking of the episodes. Like, 
people were hyped. I was not, I didn't have a Tumblr in 2013, so I was not a part of this, but I did remember them being, uh, the episodes being released online, but I actually waited because I was super excited, but I wanted to see it on the big screen. So I waited to watch it when it premiered on Nickelodeon um, on the TV. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <Man. laughs> it was just like, what the fuck did I just watch? Even as a teenager, I'm like, what is this? Also, um, throwback to 2013 when Tumblr was still relevant, but... <laughs> Oh, I know. <laughs> Man, <laughs> right? the, like, the, the that... power they wielded, jeez. I know. I feel like from 20, I want to say 2011 to 2015, those four years were like the years of Tumblr. Yeah. Like that is when all the fandoms were at their peak, super hulak, like all mm -hmm. this shit. And like all these anime movies were starting to come out from DreamWorks and Disney that got huge followings. I was a part of those fandoms. So like, I remember those mm -hmm. days, but I myself did not have a Tumblr because I just, I'm not a big social media person. So no, even to <laughs> but, this day, uh, you're yeah. still not. So. No, <laughs> for everybody, just in case anybody didn't know, Todd is the one that makes all the posts. Cause I just, I'm an old woman. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I'm a hundred year old. I'm Aang. I'm a hundred year old trapped in a 25 year old body. <laughs> yeah. And then there's me and I'm a 12 year old trapped in a 38 year old man's body. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yang and yang. Yes. Um, anyway, so that's just a, I, I didn't know about that. So I thought that was very fascinating. That whole fun fact. Wild. Um, so yeah. So our second fun fact, this one's that um, <laughs> when storyboarding Eska and Bolin's kiss, the production crew originally had Eska lick Bolin before kissing him. Excuse me? Uh, yeah, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I believe it. Eska's a freak, but like, damn, they were actually considering doing that in the kids' show, all right? I, I guess. <laughs> I imagine if Desna kissed Bolin instead. Oh my god, I would have both of them <laughs> he just kind of accepts it like well it's a package deal whatever yeah they just three-way kiss right at the air just <laughs> yes thruple <laughs> oh my god yes uh. um and then our third and final fun fact is that gray delisle who is the voice of our beloved princess azula uh returned to voice the spider spirit and the talking mushroom spirit <laughs> in that was episode. her doing both <laughs> yes Yes, I am. <laughs> I was wondering who the talking mushroom was. I was like, that's gotta be that's gotta be a guest star. I just don't know who it like is. Like a cameo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then on top of Grey Delisle's return, Jason Isaac also returned to reprise his role as Admiral Zhao from Avatar The Last Airbender. That actually was him. So it's like I love to see all these cameos from our fan favorites. <laughs> yeah, they really tried to bolster this episode the best they could, didn't they? <laughs> right. They really did. Like, listen, what do you want from us? Hey, guys, season two is going down in flames. Want to jump in on the last two episodes? Sure. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. So with that being said, wow, this finale, this episode, I should say. <laughs> Yeah, well, what are your thoughts, Todd? <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So the next episode know. is like <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no. Um. Well, yeah. I, I guess I do have to talk about it. I, I really don't know where this to start. This one isn't that bad, though. Like compared to the next one, I feel like there's a lot more positive that we can talk about in this than the next one. So there like, is, but uh, so. So the thing is that like the episode 
is so action heavy and that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing so i guess we'll start with the most positive takeaway which is that this episode is indeed action-packed it, it, mm. it has some of the coolest like big fight stuff we've seen in the entire season so far like right. like the bending battle between um i mean well first of all it's just cora and vatu for a while um the, mm-hmm. her fighting him and then you've got unalak there and then he gets kicked out of the fight pretty quickly yeah which i love that and, <laughs> get out of here <laughs> and then immediately Cora's like prevent him from coming back and so like off go you know ken and ryu off into the <laughs> the real world back through the portal back to go to go keep him from getting back in i guess like mm-hmm. i mean talk about throwing the two of them to the sharks like immediately <laughs> it's like hey like right. one of the deadliest benders we've encountered so far yeah hold him off for a little while <laughs> right sure okay yeah, kind of <laughs> saying them to the slaughterhouse but all right <laughs> yeah no and and you know, as you said, and you and you you even said to that it was coming that you know the bending battle in the finale here when Unlock gets back and he's fighting Korra to to uh, get back to Vatu so that they can join, like the bending and the animation, the fight, the, the perspective, the pacing, the speed, just the intricacy of the bending, like it's it's exquisite, it's explosive. Mm-hmm it's it's just it's so cool it's so so well done and like that for me is the biggest takeaway for the whole finale is like the not the stupid kaiju battle that we'll get to later but just the actual bending and the fight scenes in this episode are spectacular like i said some of the best and like i'll defend this some of the best bending battles that we see in all of legend of korra just like you said the animation the music the sound effects the just the overall pacing of the fight, the, you know, the incredible stances and the dynamic pose, it, like everything about it is top-notch stuff. I wish that the rest of the episode was as good as these couple fight scenes because they're kind of broken up throughout the episode. You know, right. it's not just one long continuous fight. Um, but, you know, those brief fighting scenes that we see snippets of throughout the episode, it's just like incredible stuff. Right. Um, but... So we we talked about that, and I mean that's that's mostly what Core is dealing with. It's just fighting a bunch of you know right. evil baddies, and then and then Mako and Bolin yeah, are just that. there, you know, hunkered down outside the portal, and you know it's kind of it's kind of self-explanatory. Then like you know what happens then because yeah, sure they're holding off Unalak, all good and fine, until um, Eska and Desna show up, and then the tide gets turned. Literally, mm-hmm. the tide gets turned. I love how Unalak. <laughs> completely needlessly just theatrically shows up like aquaman just like on a wave of water Uh, it's just like how he showed up on a spirit in when he was attacking you know the northern water tribe and like tonrock like he just was floating on a spirit like man do you not know how to walk like are you that lazy (laughs) that you can't walk around no, it's all about the uh, presentation, as Megamind would say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it really is. Yeah, he has a flair, a flair for the dramatic, uh, uh, Unalak. So, and um, yeah, he gets back in, of course, you know, with his his uh, son and daughter there by his side, uh, and um, 
in the meantime, we have this other plot happening. <laughs> Which I don't know what you had to say about it, but like Ten Tenzin in everybody wandering the spirit world. Mm-hmm. It that the whole thing left me very cold. Really? It wow, did. interesting. It did. And here's why. Because it it seemed very it seemed very weird and aimless to me for him to be like, oh, I know completely on a hunch from Iroh where she is. And then he leads mm-hmm. them all. <clears throat> into the second circle of hell into the mist spirit where he knows that they will almost certainly be driven mad and die on a hunch mm-hmm. that of all the places in the vast planet of the spirits where they could be that she just so happens to be there mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, that's like- there's a massive gamble <laughs> over that and then he has like his come to Genora moment where like he frees himself from the expectation that he has to live up to being Aang's son and be himself, which like I kind of get, but to me it was a really foggy, I'm not saying it's bad, it was just a really foggy way, like like if he was having this internal struggle he's been internally struggling with like five different things throughout the course of the season. If they had consistently mm-hmm. built that this is what has been going on with him with a little bit more correlation to like, uh, if there were a little bit more breadcrumbs along the way in season two, it really felt like every episode was like remedial of what they had done in the last one. And that they didn't really come into season two with a plan of like where everything in each episode was going to go. Mm-hmm. It almost seemed like they shifted the season halfway when they shifted animation studios. They were like, okay, guys, we need to write the ship. We've done all this so far. How do we make sense of it? It just it mm-hmm. wasn't super cohesive. I said it wasn't bad. It's just I wish it was a little more clearly laid out that this was his struggle because it was a good lesson for him to learn. But I'm like, oh, is that what he's been dealing with this entire time? Because it seemed a little vague mm-hmm. to me. Well... I totally see where you're coming from. I absolutely do. But I actually disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if you like Um, it, you like it. And I'm not saying it couldn't be done better because it could have, as everything in this season could have been, except for Varric. Oh, yeah, Varric's a gift. um, God tier. But (laughs) no, like I just, for me, what totally sells the whole, you know, B subplot with, you know, Tenzin Kaya and Bumi is this idea of the fog of lost souls, which for anyone that hasn't seen the episode or just needs a refresher, basically the fog of lost souls is where humans can be trapped in the spirit world in this just kind of giant open plane covered in this fog. And you're like, well, how is this a prison? Like, how are they trapped? Why don't they just walk out? Well, they can't because this giant fog that's surrounding them is actually a spirit and it gets inside your head and it kind of mentally tortures you and drives you insane. That is a really cool and really creepy idea. And I love it. And it <laughs> like, is. And it is. Yeah. Like that's something that I could see being in the original 
avatar right. you know because you had the co the face dealer which is a very creepy cool idea with a great design and all that you know you had this hey by spirit that turns into a giant monster when it gets angry like the spirit world had creepy elements to it so like this feels not cutesy not hero miyazaki but like it feels like the original spirit world that we knew from avatar you know very dark mysterious and dangerous right and so you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if maybe that was a scrapped idea from Avatar that they just brought in for Legend of Korra since they were doing so much with the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it yeah, no, I love that idea. It definitely recaptured that dark spiritual sense th- that we were literally lamenting in like one of the last episodes of the podcast was missing. It's been missing this entire season in favor of this whimsical was the word you, that you chose. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so I love that idea. And then I like that they kind of use that idea of like getting inside a character's mind and kind of bringing out the worst fears, memories, whatever repressed stuff. Um, and making that a sort of, in a way, character study, like, again, very brief. I feel this is, okay, I'm just gonna say this. feel like this could have been a whole episode. Like you could have had the entire gang you know, the new Korra crew, they could have been stuck in this fog of lost souls trying to get out or find each other. And this could have been like a whole character breakdown where each character gets an, gets their own scene of like, you know, grappling with their trauma right. or whatever. Like, that's how cool of an idea it is. And I'm sad that we don't really see it again. Like, it's just like, damn it, what a waste of potential. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so I do like that we get a little bit of insight into Tenzin uh, and even Kaya and Bumi to a lesser extent um, and their greatest fears, you know, Tenzin obviously being that he is the last true, well, not the last, but like one of the last airbenders, the last real master airbender, Mm -hmm. and that he has to carry on Aang's legacy of the air nomad tradition and all that fun stuff. Um, And that that places an incredible weight and burden on his shoulders that he'll never live up to Aang and you know, and that's the whole thing he has to learn is that he's not Aang, he's Tenzin. Like, right. he doesn't need to have that burden. He just needs to be him. And so, you know, that's what he learns in the B plot. Yeah. And then Kai and Bumi, <laughs> theirs is like a lot more vague. Like, Bumi, I think he's getting war flashbacks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he has PTSD. About like, animals. literally, he has a. Yeah, like an episode where he's remembering, like, you know, a war mission or whatever. And there were cannibals involved, and that's all that we know. And we're like, uh, can we learn more about that, please? That sounds interesting. Um, and Kaya, Kaya's is interesting because we know very little about Kaya outside of you know what we've been told from Tenzin and Bumi from their perspective. Right. And it sounds as though she, like, I've always gotten the vibe that she's kind of a hippie, like a free roaming, you know, well, she's travel a spirit the world. healer, yes, you know. Right. And so you know, in one of the earliest episodes of the season, I think it was Tenzin had said something about like, you know, oh, when like, cause she was saying how she was the one that stayed with Katara, her mother, when, you know, Aang died and mm-hmm. Tenzin was all like, oh yeah, after you spent the world trying to find yourself. So that makes it sound like she kind of ran away and like, just, you know, never called home, didn't come back for a really long time until mm-hmm. Katara needed her. Um, and so, yeah, it seems as though she has either abandonment issues or like she, I don't even know. It's, it's interesting. Like she, she says she doesn't want to be tied down that she doesn't have a family. So like, 
I don't know if I don't know. You're the psychol you're you're the big psychology guys. So like, what did you take away from Kaya's little exchange? I mean, I I kind of took the same direct like I took it in the same direction that you're going with it, that her she has this this fear that like she doesn't have a family and almost Again, it's vague because, like you said, we don't really know enough other concrete stuff about her to hang it on to. Um, but almost like a, I wander the world, and either something to the effect of like she would that she would come back and her family wouldn't be there, or like that mm -hmm. they wouldn't know her, or like something to that effect, where she would basically lose her family by being right. ab by being absent. That she had to come back and be there for them um because they were gone or maybe she had a fear of losing the family that something would happen to them and now she feels the need to st stick close to them because she's worried about that um right yeah something to that effect like i said it, it, and i agree with you on it and i guess that's more of why and why it, it, while it's interesting and i and i agree with you the main factor about it is the spirit itself very cool very avatar the last airbender but as a plot point i wish that it had been either a used earlier in all the time we've wasted in the spirit world running around attending tea parties <laughs> with uncle iroh being lost in the woods carrying baby mm -hmm. birds back up to their nest like use this place once before have like you said have mm -hmm. the gang wind up in there have cora and somebody else wind up in there and have to go through something similar so that there's a context to it because the problem i really have with a lot of things in hindsight now that we're at the end in season two in general but especially in the finales is that there's a lot of pulling stuff out of their ear just mm -hmm. we this you know this is the valley of lost souls and it's like that's cool why have we never heard of this place before hey this right. is the tree of time and it has a meditation thing under it cool why didn't we know about that before like <laughs> like it, it's yeah. just it's just this weird sort of like as needed like we'll just these are the portals that were totally here before <laughs> yeah it's like well why didn't we use that before you know it's... right it's it's a similar trap that and and this i feel like is something that that you got to throw me bone on this one it's a little bit of a danger when you're dealing with magic and i think one of mm -hmm. the main illustrations of this i could use is harry potter but especially the fantastic beasts movies where they will <laughs> be like how are we going to solve this problem i know let's use this magic spell which we've never heard of never referenced before and it literally like plays back an entire crime scene for us in like magic hologram so we can review it and then like a, 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 a literally an hour later in the film they're like oh we'll have to take their your word for it he's like no that's not what happened I'm like well guess what guys there's a magic spell we could use that would actually play this all back for us you don't actually have to take anyone's word for it and mm -hmm. then later in harry potter's like well wait a minute there's that spell from fantastic beast which any of the masters here at hogwarts could have used and so when you magic things up too much for the convenience of the plot, it does wind up like this. Like you said, they pull out some magical element that solves the problem, but it's like, wait a minute, have you been keeping this information to yourself all this time, Tenzin? You didn't think it was necessary to share that with us maybe three episodes ago when it could have helped us? <laughs> information that would have been useful yesterday! <laughs> <laughs> exactly! <laughs> <laughs> yes. And plus, like, there was no reason for us to just assume that's where Janora was. The last time we saw her, she was being dragged off by some spirit. She could have been literally anywhere in the spirit realm and, like, banking super heavily 
on it like were we supposed to take iroh's note as like some weird vague like parable that iroh knew for sure where she was and was just dropping a hint to them and if so why uh, like it, it, i don't i think you would have just told her right like, if that was the case that was a dick move um like but... that's what i'm saying it's like weird it's it's just kind of weird and then well here's my big point <laughs> if there's like hundreds of people who have been trapped when they leave, why do they leave all the people there? Why don't they take all the humans with them? These people are trapped in the spirit world. Why do they leave them? Because <laughs> they got they got bigger problems. <laughs> You're on your own, people. <laughs> you could have saved a hundred people from the spirit world and led them out. God, can you imagine? If, and they like... don't. <laughs> Can you imagine if Zhao went with them and he had like a Zuko tier redemption arc? <laughs> or, like, I, I, I would have loved that. <laughs> I would have loved that too. <laughs> Just like wow, the redemption arc we didn't know we needed. Yeah, that would have been great. It probably would have. It probably would have. <laughs> you remember? Do you remember Quantum Mania? What? Yeah. You remember what they did with Modok? They should have done oh that with God, General. They should have done that with Zhao and had him at the last just minute. Don't be a dick, Zhao. <laughs> yes, and just have him come flying in at the last second no. to defeat <laughs> Unalak instead of Janora. No. <laughs> God, please no! <laughs> Someone needs to write this fan fiction now. God, that would we be just great. give you tons of ideas. Go for it. That would have been fantastic. Yeah, they should have because I was like appalled at our heroes. They like, okay, we got our people, and I'm like, dude, what about every? There's like a hundred people trapped in the spirit world. It's sitting in the second circle of Dante's Inferno. Just take them with you. How did they get there in the first place? Is this hell? When you're a bad person and you die in Avatar, do you end up in the spirit world? Is that how Zhao got there? Because I thought he was dead. Well, so they're actually, this is actually kind of clever. And I, that's why I love this idea so much is that, because if you remember, we don't see Zhao die. We get, we see him get taken by law. The, the, um, is it the ocean? Yeah. The ocean spirit. When like, it's all, when Aang's all Koizilla, he grabs oh. Zhao and he t sucks him under and we don't know what happened to him. We could just kind of assume that he drowned. Okay. But no, he was taken by a spirit and he ended up in the, you know, in the fog of lost souls. So that actually is a good bit of continuity. Like there's not a okay. lot in Legend of Korra, but that's a good, good little piece of it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for clearing that up because I also was kind of like, okay, cool cameo, bro. But like, why are you here? I thought you were dead. Is this the, is, is, why is, are you here? is the spirit world, the afterlife? Like I, I, I could, I, I couldn't figure that out at first. So thank you for clearing that up for me. You're welcome. Yeah. And honestly, in terms of like the whole afterlife thing, the way, cause no, I don't think that that's the case just from what I understand of the lore from both avatar and legend of Korra. As we said in a previous episode, it used to be not anymore past this ep past these two episodes, but it used to be that only certain people could get into the spirit world besides the Avatar right. that were super spiritually attuned, like Iroh. Um, and so, like, or unless it was like you know Wan Chi Tong's library, where it was half in the spirit world, half in the human world, that right. way you could enter it. Um, but so I kind of read it as it's you can only end up as a spirit, like a, a human spirit in the spirit world if you died and were spiritually attuned like Iroh was. And that way you could spend your afterlife in the spirit world instead of whatever heaven they have or hell or whatever. Okay. Um, 
that's just kind of how I read it as. I don't know if that's actually true because there's no like definitive answer as to what the afterlife is like for the world of Avatar. But oh yeah, no, no. I I mostly was confused because when I thought Ira or not Ira, when I thought that General Zhao was dead until you clarified literally just now that he didn't drown, he was taken by the spirits. That's why mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, he's dead. So like, where is where is this? Is this is the spirit <laughs> world? Even the go here. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's why. That's where I got confused. Um, yeah, yeah. But like I said, it just because it was kind of confusing and it it just begged a lot of questions. And I wish that they'd spent more time developing it. Either like mm-hmm. you said, devote a whole episode to it because it was really cool. But it just being kind of randomly jammed in here with no context for how he knew this before made it seem really like I don't know. It was it was sort of a uh, what's the word I'm thinking? It was a little bit of it was a little bit of a like a MacGuffin to like kind of like mm-hmm. get in there, have Iroh come and drop yeah. you the the hint to where to go, and it just so happens to be it. And it's just like okay, that was very convenient. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's totally true. I I do wish that there had been more build up or that we had heard of it beforehand or even seen it beforehand, but. I mean, for never really seeing it again, I'm like, you know, I'm glad that we at least got this idea yeah. out in an episode because it is a really cool one. And if they were to do more with it, since, you know, we're, we know we're getting more Avatar right. post Korra, you know, I would love to revisit it and be like, oh, it's the thing from Korra that I liked <laughs> that one episode. Well, um, if there's anything worse, though, than being trapped in a fog that like draws out your worst fears, it's the rest of this episode because i forgot we didn't even get to the end of the episode oh yeah oh yeah i was avoiding it because then oh boy then our boy unalak finally gets his wish and gets to be with vatu forever because unavatu (laughs) that's literally what they call it unavatu the dark avatar unavatu Oh I'm fucking stupid. I'm sorry. There, I... There's so many problems with all of it. Let me just say, Unalak, my guy. I know that you have aspirations <laughs> that you have like some sort of weird god complex, but just having the spirit of a spirit inside of you doesn't make you the avatar. Number one, he can only still control water. He doesn't even... Like, I know. What? What? <laughs> he's yeah. not much of an avatar. It's just, it's just a boost like, to his already incredible water bending. But, like, it's not... You're not an avatar. The avatar bends all four elements. That's literally the definition of an avatar, like or the avatar, I should say. Um, <laughs> you keep Unlock, you keep using that word, avatar. I don't, I don't think, think it means what you think it means. means. <laughs> exactly yes um but with that being said are you ready to hear because i mean if they could do this and make it canon like god imagine what else they could do (laughs) but so i actually had this wild idea i kind of love it but i also kind of hate it at the same time because i'm like this would never actually happen this would break the lore Mm -hmm. but we've already broken the lore multiple times so why not um so (laughs) For me, I always had this idea because I I would just love to be able to do an Avatar show or movie one day mm-hmm. um, of like, what if, hear me out, <laughs> there were twin avatars. 
identical twins. So they would have the same avatar spirit and only, and they would only bend two of the four elements. So when they were together, they would have all four elements and they'd be able to go into the avatar state and work as, you know, a duo. Like, a, you know, you'd a, a have dyad, five. in fact. Yes. <laughs> and I would want it to be a boy, not romantically, obviously, but like I'd want it to be a boy and a girl, a brother, sister, you know, kind of avatar twin situation. And when they're separated from each other, which of course you know would happen throughout the whole movie or show, where they're constantly getting like kidnapped or one or the other or both, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like when they're separated, they're much weaker because they can't go into the avatar state because they don't have their other half with them. And so, but like when they're together, they're like unstoppable power force. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Jesus, that would look so cool. Just having these like two identical brother, sister, like just kicking total ass. <laughs> I would love it. But again, that would never happen because like it just wouldn't happen. But <laughs> it's a cool idea. It, it is a cool idea. But you know what? They've done worse things with the spirit lore of the Avatar in Legend of Korra season two. So it certainly wouldn't be the most <laughs> off the walls thing. I know. That's why I'm like, you know what? If we can have a dark avatar and this kaiju bullshit, like we could have a twin avatar. Like that could be a thing. Oh my gosh. Well, see, because then what happens is what happens in the episodes that Unalak um, absorbs Vatu and becomes <laughs> Unavatu. It hurts to say it. Becomes Unavatu, and then he. Uh, at some point during his awesome battle against Korava, I guess we might as well just call her at this <laughs> point. Yes. Korava and Unavatu's battle, he just like vomits up into the sky, Ghostbusters style, like this spirit <laughs> of Vatu that apparently grabs Rava out of Korra and just rips her out, throws her like a beached jellyfish onto a rock. <laughs> God, and then and beats the shit out of her. Uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> he just like <laughs> I, I over and over. He, he just he and he beats the the life, or rather the lives, out of her. Which, mm-hmm. which, okay, bold move. It's a bold strategy. Let's see how it plays out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And every yeah. every time he hits her, uh, a previous life of the Avatar is knocked out of her. Mm-hmm. Okay, I gotta tell you, okay. like it it, 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 it's an idea. I don't like. I get it. I don't see it. Like I don't know what to hang it on. Okay. Well, okay. So listen, I think. It's really stupid. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Because here's the thing. Like, it doesn't make any sense. If they had kept it that way to where Rava was completely gone, all the Avatar lives were completely gone, that would have actually been really impactful and made sense. Because now Korra is solely on her own and she has to depend on herself, not the Avatar state, not the previous Avatars, not Rava, just her, which would have been like actually powerful and had like lasting impact. But no, I mean, we'll get to it. But the next episode, she, like, Rava is returned to Korra. And so she can go back into the Avatar state and everything. But somehow, the Avatar, the previous Avatars are not there. Like, 
because this is a new Rava? Like, right. what? Like, like, there's so many problems with the wrap-up that we're, I, I have, like, a list of them ready for the next episode. <laughs> Don't you worry. But Don't like, worry. But this is, like, this really is the tip of the iceberg here. It's this moment when, like, mm-hmm. Rava's getting the lives beat out of her. And every time, because then, like, then what would have happened? It part, like, like, it doesn't make any sense. How do you erase the lives connected with the spirit out of her what are they are like like you know what i mean it almost makes them like they're recordings that are being lost because you're running a magnet over the videotape like right like how are the spirits of the previous avatars are they contained inside of her are they not separate from her like i think it's just supposed to be a visual that we're not meant to take very literally like with every strike a single avatar is being removed from her history or whatever like i don't i think it's just that with every hit she's being weakened and so she's losing the connection to the avatar spirit or whatever i guess and yeah i i don't think it's meant to be taken like literally i think it's just that when rava's destroyed all the avatars the previous avatars are destroyed like destroyed When she is, right, quote-unquote, which... <laughs> destroyed. Well, and so here's the thing. And this, this isn't really a spoiler or anything. But, so, I mean, obviously we see in the next episode that Rava does return to Korra. Um, and she is able to go into the Avatar state. But she says, you know, Tenzin asks her, are, are the, you know, Avatar spirits still with you? And she says, no, I think they're gone for good. And they are. We never see that shit again. So she is like the new first avatar, like the first of the new line or whatever. So like good for, I guess, sticking to that, but also like it makes no sense but if also, she has Rava. But, so. also, but also why? Like what's, <laughs> why? what's the, why? what's the significance of it? I mean, I'm going to, again, I'm going to get into it at this point. So we might as well just wrap on this because we're already leaning so far into the next episode. <laughs> right. Uh, I, this episode is so like hard for me personally because i mean the fight stuff is awesome it's Mm -hmm. at least it's not dumb and boring but like Mm -hmm. i'd said i have real mixed feelings about the whole like tenzin spiritual thing so i have a strong feeling that overall my rating for this episode might be lower than yours just because i i don't want action action's cool but i want content but i don't just want content Mm -hmm. i want cohesive storytelling and i know by now in season two that's a lot to ask for (laughs) but i but i do (laughs) i have to object they can't just take something that's a cool concept and it be a cool concept but then like use it as a MacGuffin to oh and i love this part as soon as they get janora back they have not only risked all their lives to go into the Valley of Lost Souls, all almost die, go insane, and be trapped there forever, and leave everyone who was trapped in there there, which I was throwing my sandwich at the screen over that. And, but then, as soon as Janora is saved, and they're like, oh, we risked all this to get you. She's like, yeah, but I can't go home yet. Bye! And she just, like, instant what transmits <laughs> Goku-style away. Just gone. It's like, oh! Alrighty! <laughs> yep. And when you find out what she needed to go do, that she just like pieced out that quick. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, we'll get to it. Oh boy, 
So I got to tell you, again, it's a struggle because once again, I think this episode is probably the finest example of like highest high highs and low lows. It's like mm-hmm. great action. Yeah. Great pacing. Yeah. Almost no story content. And what story content is there is so vague and dumb with the whole like pulling Rafa's spirit out and then destroying her and losing the link to the avatars and what? Um, and again, and for what was for me a kind of a middling B plot, uh, this episode is not definitely not one that I would tune back in again anytime soon, um, except for basically the fun fight scenes. The episode's uh, a regretful 5.7 for me. Oof. <laughs> That's got to be your lowest Cora rating yet. I, although I'm sure the next one will be even lower. Um, but... Um, I'm going to go a little higher because I do like the B plot, you know, even though it could have been done better, but I do think it's like the idea is so cool that I like am willing to overlook the convenience of it. You know what I mean? Um, so I think I'm going to give this one, like, I don't know, a six out of 10, like not much higher, but still a little bit. Cause yeah, I just can't get over how good like studio mirror they came out to they were not playing they came oh out, yeah yeah especially the next episode like, the, the the animation is perfect yeah so i'll i'll give it a six out of ten but it's like a very reluctant like i know you can be better than this Cora. six out of I, ten i feel like i i feel like i'm doing the opposite of what you were doing where like at th- consistently the last few episodes you've been like i've been like oh this episode's like an eight and you're like this episode's a seven for me and i'm like wow <laughs> right. and you're like no it's because i in light of what's coming for me right. it's like in light of where we've been, we should be finishing stronger. I don't know why. I, it's not an expectation. It's just a hope <laughs> right. that they wouldn't continue doing it, but they're still doing it. So it's like really hurting it worse because it's the finale, you know? Oh, yeah. <sighs> and with that, we arrive finally at episode 14 Light in the Dark. Woohoo! It is written by Michael Dante. Martino. <laughs> those comments you made a couple episodes ago i was thinking all about that like oh no i know he does the finale episode <laughs> I, I i'm telling you again we lo- we love you mike but like <laughs> let, let somebody else take over for a while here it's okay it's yeah. it's just yeah it's directed by ian graham he did the best he could <laughs> bless him bless it's animated fantastically by studio mirror like again the animation is absolutely lavish um the episode aired on that fateful day on november 22nd 2013 and the imdb rating of light in the dark is very clearly made by russian bots because (laughs) it's 8.2 out of 10 (laughs) I know. I was. I was like, "This has got to. That, this must be flipped. Like it's a two point eight out of ten, right?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm so shocked uh, by how high it was. Oh my god! Lord, take us away with some scandalous fun facts, Amanda. Some spicy fun facts. All right. Oh. <laughs> so, this, our first fun fact is the theme Janora's light that plays as Cora meditates and forms her astral projection is a variation on the short piece that plays at the beginning of Azula and Zuko's Agni Kai in the Sezen's Comet finale. So, yeah, I just felt the need to put this in here because much like the animation, 
my man, Jeremy Zuckerman, he killed it in these last two episodes, especially this episode um, with mm-hmm. the music. Cause like, even though you have no idea what the fuck is going on, you're like really you're jamming out to the music. It's so good. Like it's just it's top tier stuff. Like Legend of Korra's yeah. music is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that. Like listening to it now, like I actually went and listened to it. I'm like, yeah, I do kind of hear similar notes. Like I wonder if that was intentional or if it just you know it's the same people that worked on Avatar's music that worked on this. So maybe they just I don't know overlapped. <laughs> but uh, it's a very very pretty theme. Um, our second fun fact is that the final fight between Korra and Unavatu is inspired by Godzilla and other similar kaiju movies. Huh, I had no idea. It's not subtle at all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of Godzilla movies. Like, I've watched every Godzilla movie that they've made. And, Apparently. yeah. Yeah. I've, I've only seen the right two most recent ones, um and they're fine oh the the american ones you mean yeah yeah like the, the one that gareth edwards yeah. did and then the godzilla king of the monsters i think is what it was um right but uh yeah i'm i'm not really big on like giant monsters or robots killing each other movies like it's just no it, no pacific rim for you no <sighs> I mean, I saw Pacific Rim actually in theaters with my family, and I thought it was like a fun movie, but it wasn't one that I would ever need to watch again. Like, it was a fun theater movie because it's like, you know, big, loud, you know, it looked really cool, but it's just not my kind of movie. I, though, although I will say just real quick, I want a Mothra movie so bad. Mothra was the best part of Godzilla King of the Monsters, and I was so mad that she died at the (laughs) spoilers. I'm like, I know she can reincarnate. Give me my Mothra movie, you cowards. Did you watch Godzilla vs. Kong? No. Wasn't wait. Wait, was there a Godzilla vs. Kong? I thought it was like Kong yeah. Skull Island or whatever. No, no, no. The no, the sequel to Kong Skull Island and third in God the Godzilla trilogy is Godzilla vs. Kong. Oh no. See You should you should realize. watch it. It was it was it was actually better than Godzilla King of the Monsters, in my opinion. Oh really? Interesting. Wow, we just went on a it whole was, tangent it was, about it was, kaiju it was, movies. It, it, it was decent. It wasn't as good as the original Godzilla, but it was decent. Hmm, Everybody, go watch Godzilla vs Kong. It was decent. <laughs> Great. Be- better than the better than the core season two finale. <laughs> oh my god, it's not hard to be. Um, it's not. Hard <laughs> the bar is really low. <laughs> yes. Um, and then our third and final fun fact is that given the vague nature of Mako and Asami's breakup in the season one episode, Skeletons in the Closet, the creators decide to have Korra and Mako's breakup be the uh, more definitive in its delivery. And I told you, you basically guessed the whole thing. Like <laughs> I did, and I have like a whole thing devoted to that. So I don't know, should we jump? Should we do what we usually do and skip to the end? Because like it's... Or sh- Whatever you want to do, I'm I'm up for anything. <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna cover it because before we get into absolutely razzing the living daylights <laughs> right. out of this episode, we might as well hit on like the one good part. <laughs> oh, I know, right? It's so Which weird is... how good this breakup is. <laughs> yeah. Like, because I will throw it off again. You know what? I will tell you though. We didn't even do justice to it because in the last episode I had this whole like, you know, hey, you were trying to save the world thing. And I I didn't know what I expected. I was expecting it to be really messy and embarrassing. Mm-hmm. 
my man Mako was even more stand-up guy than I thought because <laughs> not only did hashtag Mako did nothing wrong, not only did he not do anything wrong by this, but he even went by, went came around afterward. And it was like the most graceful breakup ever. And I was so surprised that Karava handled it the way she did. It's probably because Rava is at like full strength now instead of like being this little like weird little lizard thing inside of her she's like this giant kaiju spirit so she's got a big douse of like 50 million year old maturity inside of her right and she just she handled it like an absolute queen i was very happy yeah uh i was like so shocked when i was rewatching the episode and like that was what I was most invested in with this ki- this coupling that I never liked. Like, I've never been a Mako and Korra stan. Even in the beginning, before all the drama went down, I was like, eh, this feels kind of pandering to the Zatara fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, oh, this, this waterbending girl and this firebender, like, what if they were mm-hmm. a couple? Because we didn't right. do that the first time when we should have. Um, anyway. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I never was a Makora stan and suddenly I'm getting like super invested like emotionally in this breakup like damn this was actually probably the most mature thing either of them have done up to this point like damn I was yeah. like so proud of them like and they do yeah, no. they actually definitively break up they never get back yep. together again throughout the whole series and I was like thank you god so, yes, because the whole relationship stuff all so far has been BS. Like, it's yes. so bad. So, yeah. And it's, like, super emotional and mature. And then they give each other a goodbye kiss and say they'll always love each other. And I'm like, oh, wow, they're all grown up. And, and, and as somebody who's been through, like, relationships, a bunch of them in my life, and I've had some end terribly, and I've had some end really beautifully... Um, and I mean, I, admittedly, the majority of, of relationships I've had that have ended have ended on amicable terms. And mm-hmm. you know what? Kind of hit me a little bit in the feels, person, because I've had one that ended very much like this. It was a this doesn't work. It's it was a mutual, you know, I love you, but this doesn't work. And it was right. a parting on good terms. And so this was very, you know, again, it's a very it takes a lot of maturity um, from both people to just acknowledge it doesn't work and not have it end in going down in flames and attacking each other and blaming each other and trying to hurt right. each other you know exactly so i mean at least that's a good way to end the episode i guess because it's like the second to last scene but uh yeah. <laughs> there's so much shit before it <laughs> oh yeah there's way there's way too much before it <laughs> Let's get i just gotta it. jump in i gotta jump in with something that's how hilarious <laughs> How hilarious would it have been when they're like, General Iroh, are you sure your fleet can hit, can, is ready or whatever? And he's like, would mm-hmm. be helpful to know what it is I'm attacking. And then just like, you know, Unavatu comes crashing down from the sky like the Cloverfield monster and pops up in the middle of the bay. And he's like, time to take back this physical world. Wouldn't it be funny if General Iroh was like, fire! And they just shot him full of holes and he just died in the bay. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been much better than what we got <laughs> it would have been the greatest like anti-climax of him like yeah. showing up and being like the world is mine and then just like shot with like a thousand artillery cannons and just dies you know our face down yeah. in the bay just sinks in the water that would have been amazing <laughs> it would have been great 
instead, oh, instead, we got what we got, which is, you know, Unavatu stomping around, being a big monster, doing a sort of, like, dark version, so, like, cool callback, bro, of, like, making the giant wave that, mm-hmm. like, pushes back the ships, which, like, didn't Aang do that? At yeah. least one time where he made the way that pushes the sh- the fleet away or or pushes them yeah. apart to get through or something. Yeah, multiple w- times. When was but that? I, I think that you're thinking of the Koizilla scene when he like basically shoots all the you know yes. okay, the fire nades yes. back with a giant wave um, out of the Northern Water Tribe. But uh, right. yeah, no, there's been multiple times where there's have been giant waves involved with ships <laughs> in Avatar. So right, um, right. But it's so funny to me because like the whole point of this merging of Unalak and Vatu is that they both want to conquer the world, basically. Like, they want to bring chaos and darkness to the world. And they're just wrecking shit at Republic City and not even really doing all that much. They're just, like, covering the city in vines and, like, shooting at the uh, the ships in the, in the um, what are they called? The airships in the sky. But, like, there's not much happening like not this is what the end of the world looks like just a couple vines like wrapping around the city okay <laughs> so yeah I, I would have expected like way more like like would, would it have been more end of the world if like a behind him came that like gigantic horde like a like an absolute swarm of the dark spirits just everywhere maybe mm-hmm. like possessing people like you know what i mean oh, i know like and there's no budget for that. We, that's not in the budget. Well, 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 and the worst part of it is that there's already a precedent for it because in the whole, um, you know, when she goes back and sees the, the story of the first Avatar, there's the whole thing with the spirits possessing people and it like warps them and mutates them and changes them. That sure looks like chaos to me. Imagine mm-hmm. if these dark spirits were flying through and just like possessing people, passing through them left to right, and just mutating people into like monsters of chaos and deforming them. What if everything was weirdly terraformed? You know, like there's more you could do, like you said. Okay, so I just thought of this. Here's a pitch for an alternate universe of Legend of Korra where season three and four did not happen the way that they happened in the actual show. What mm-hmm. if what you just said happened where like all these dark spirits come and infect the humans, like morph them into these crazy monsters, whatever half spirit, half monsters. And one of those people happens to become the villain of the next season. And like he or she is like dead set on getting revenge on Korra because she's the one that left the spirit portals open in, mm-hmm. at the end of the day and like leaves all these spirits out in the wild or not in the wild, but in the open, you know, amongst the humans mm-hmm. And, like, that could have been a whole story of, like, well, he's not wrong, but, like, because that's kind of, like, the theme of the Avatar villains. Not really Unalak, but season three and four, their villains are very much like Amon, where you're, like, they have a point. (laughs) No, 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 let them cook. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so, yeah, I think that that would have been really cool. And I guess that I haven't read the uh, Legend of Korra comics that came out uh, after the show ended. Just like with mm-hmm. Avatar, they had comics that kind of sort of continue the story, but like minimally. Um, and there actually was a villain that was a half spirit, half human. That was like a dragon spirit or something. I don't know what his name is or what his story is or what I just know that his his picture like i've seen a picture of him and they were like that's the villain of the comics and i'm like okay cool why didn't they do something like that in the show (laughs) 
<laughs> you had like all these spirits, like why not have a half spirit, half human as one of the villains of the, you know, one of the seasons. But um, yeah. Yeah. So. His name, his name is actually uh, Taguda. Taguda. <laughs> his, his name is actually Taguda and he is a leader of the triple threat triad. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that he was part of like one of the gangs that we already were introduced to in the first season. Yeah. Yeah. I know he has Jets um tiger hooks. That's the other thing I, I remember from the picture I saw. Like yes. he's got Jets tiger hooks. Yes. He is I'm just I'm looking through. Yeah, and he's got like he's got uh chi blocking. He's a chi blocker. Of course. <laughs> Because everybody's a chi yeah, they're all they're, they're all chi blockers around here. <laughs> this is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them <laughs> in terms of chi blocking villains and legend. Of... Actually, no, that'd be three if you're counting Ty Lee. <laughs> oh my lord! Yeah, no, like like you said, there's there's more they could have done. Definitely more they could have done. Instead, we have uh, Unavatu, uh, the giant monster, stomping around, doing what giant monsters do, smashing stuff. And he, he, in the process, smashes open the cell wall, releasing yeah. Varric, who yeah. initiates Operation Winged Freedom. <laughs> yes, and the fact that he pulled some goggles out of his coat, and Julie already had, like, the wings on her. Like, he was ready to go. <laughs> I love that. Like, he knew he was going to get an escape route somehow, and, like, the universe provided one for him. So he's been, he's been sitting there manifesting it. He's been Literally. manifesting it his, the entire time. Yes, we love that for him. Um, so that's definitely not the last time we will see him. Um, you know, no spoilers, but he will definitely oh, yeah. be popping I up later. I, I can't wait for Varric Zilla to show up in the season four finale yes. and just <laughs> initiate Operation World Takeover. Yes, he would. If I, I would watch that. I watch anything with him, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go back to the spirit realm in season three and see Varric Industries has taken over. The spirits are all in little business suits, like running everything. You know. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, and so Cora back in the spirit world, she's you know she's really sad, all depressed. She, yeah, she's she's been beaten up and she's had Rava ripped out of her. And she doesn't have her avatar connection and nobody can help her. And she's moping. And basically yeah, she always does. <laughs> I wouldn't really say she's mopey, but she definitely this season is just, you just said she was moping. No, no. I'm saying like in turn in general, like she's more angry. I feel like than mopey most of the time. She has, she's... she has two, she has two, <laughs> no, she has three modes, mopey, angry. And somewhere in the middle is like spontaneously kissing Mako. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, so Tenzin gives her some counsel and she figures, or I guess he tells her that, you know, the Tree of Time, which is Vatu's prison, uh, it remembers everything because of ma spirit magic. I don't know. Um, and so by sitting in the Tree of Time and meditating, she is able, I, I swear, I don't even know how to explain. I've seen this episode so many times, just out of hate watching and trying to figure out what the fuck I'm watching. So I guess that by <laughs> meditating in the tree of time, she is able to connect to her avatar's spirit, but not really. She does the same thing that Aang does when he, you know, when he Meditates finally, guru. 
Yeah, like when he's trying to save Katara from the Dai Li and Zuko and Azula in uh, the Crossroads of Destiny, he has to make that ultimate sacrifice and give her up so that he can like go into his final astral form or whatever. But like there it makes sense because they're not doing this kaiju bullshit. Here it's like, okay, she's going into her big astral form, whatever. We we don't really know exactly what it is, but we kind of get that it's a spiritual thing. Um, yeah. Okay, fine. That is a direct parallel to Aang. That's good. And then <laughs> she turns into a giant blue version of herself. Like this is literally like <laughs> Cor- 100 foot Corazilla. tall. Yeah, Corazilla. And then transports herself all the way to Republic City to fight Unavatu. <laughs> Where she shoots boob lasers at him in the bay. Don't, don't be so crude. They're not boob lasers. It's just chest. They are. They are. Um, yeah, and it's basically like Harry Potter versus Voldemort, where they've got like equal ground or whatever, and they're like shooting this magic bullshit at each other, but like neither side is giving, so it's just like stuck in the middle. Um, yeah. Okay. As she's, as she's there meditating under the tree of might, and just like, I, my favorite part was when the giant blue version of her walks. <laughs> walks up to the spirit portal and just like spaghetti is in the thing. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, okie dokie. Okie dokie then. Well, so here's my thing. And I guess I'll just talk about it now because it's literally this entire episode and even a little bit at the end of the last episode. I'm a very visual person. We all know this. Like if you've been listening to the podcast, you know how much I love color and visual language and all that. Um, and none of the visuals make sense like i'm watching it and i'm like what like there are certain cues like visual cues that we have come to know from avatar into legend of korra the avatar state your eyes mouth whatever go white okay cool that means that you are in the avatar state connecting to the other avatars Um, like I said, the giant astral bodies that they, you know, go, they have the spheres and you can walk into them and get like super spiritually powerful or whatever. Cool. We saw that in Avatar and we saw it here. The color scheme and the just visual images, it's hard to explain, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about after watching it. It, none of it, like it looks good. Don't get me wrong. It just does not look like Avatar or even Legend of Korra. It looks like it's from a completely different show. It like, looks like it's from like Young Justice, like the Justice League show, which mm-hmm. I've seen. It's very like superhero-y shooting beams and like it, the visual the visual style of it is just very weird. Yeah, it it doesn't work at all. Like for instance, when this is in the previous episode, but when uh, Unalak fuses with Vatu and then like touches the portal, just like what Juan did and what Korra did, um, he goes all like jittery and he goes all red and black and and he like screams and all this light pours out. I'm like, what is happening right now? I have no like, idea. What in the Dragon Ball Z hell? Literally, is going on? it's so Dragon Ball Z. And like, I'm I'm not trying to hate on Dragon Ball Z, but like that is not my favorite kind of visual language and it does not match at all with legend of Korra or avatar. And it just, it's, I so like dragon jarring. ball Z and I don't think it fits with, <laughs> right? with avatar and Korra. Yeah. It's just not, like, we've talked about how I'm not big on like 
certain anime like tropes in terms of visuals um and i feel like they really lean so hard into that in these last two episodes that it just again it doesn't feel like legend of korra or avatar um so yeah i not a big fan of the visual language of this episode in particular but um so anyway (laughs) korra's there she she i guess finds rava I don't know how or why, but she just, she's, I guess, realizes that because darkness can never fully get rid of light, just as light can never fully get rid of darkness, that some piece of Rava is inside of Vatu. So she like shoves her hand into his chest and pulls her out. (laughs) I mean, that's literally what happens and whatever. I love how she's like, I love love how Rava's like this little firefly, like buzzing around inside him, like a bird in a bird cage. She just like, she's like, punches her hand into him and then has to like kind of like grab Rava and like pull her out and I'm just like okay all right okay. that's the thing okay. that's happening now <laughs> like yeah. there was nothing more for there was nothing for me to do while watching this than just sit and take it of like yeah. the things that the episode was throwing because there was there was no rhyme or reason everything was just being invented on the spot it wasn't oh, yeah. even based on anything and okay I cannot remember when this happens but this to me this was the pinnacle of stupid like this was all stupid but like this to me was the worst <laughs> the inexplicable genora fairy oh oh yeah, yeah. okay so, I, oh okay right so so uh before she discovers the you know, flashes back to the whole thing about light being around and goes after mm-hmm. rava um or or like in the middle of trying to do it uh unavatu like grabs her and like pins her down and he like beats her up and everything and mm-hmm. he's like oh you thought that you could get her back she's gone for good and then he starts doing that thing which it's still not fully explained what he's doing where like he wraps her up and like the purple energy starts crawling up her body and like we assume if it reaches the top of her head something's gonna happen but it's never really explained what so yeah. <laughs> like okay like, yeah. what it reminds me of reminds me of that really needless extra struggle between fire lord ozai and ang when he's like taking away his energy and there's like the red power and the blue power and it like almost goes to ang and i'm like what would have happened if the red would have touched ang right what happens then but okay, needless okay. extra conflict. The blue actually goes back and finishes off Ozai. It was like that. Purple mm-hmm. energy reaches the top of her head. Clearly, she loses, I guess. And I we guess. all go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, then Jinora appears with the spirit bomb. Thanks, Goku. This is Dragon Ball Z. Ball and throws light. it. <laughs> A little ball of light in her hands. A ball of light and friendship. And with the power of friendship, Unavatu is thwarted. And thank goodness, Korra is saved. Can I tell you why I also hated the kids all just standing there on the sideline, like, watching it, narrating vaguely what's happening so that we can kind of get a handle on it? I'm like, shut up. You're not helping. Not only that, but also it really undermines like the supposed threat that this dark avatar is supposed to be posing. Like those kids would have been shamed themselves. They shouldn't be like, "Ooh, a monster! Oh, look, it's Genora." It's like, no, stop. Okay, okay. And you know what else was like that for me was the moment when Cora is like. <laughs> this, this I almost forgot to mention earlier when Cora is like. 
they're like, what happened? Did you defeat Unalak? And I'm like, yeah, that's why she's jumping for joy right now. That's why they're all lying half dead in a puddle because they beat Unalak. Yep. Does it look at the sky? It's like dripping purple blood. Does it look like they defeated Unalak? And then they're like, did you defeat him? And he's like, and Vukor is like, no. He took the Avatar spirit out of me and beat it against a rock, and all of the Avatar spirits are gone forever. And they just go, "Oh, Cora, I'm so sorry." And that, like, they should be horrified that like the spirit of light and order has been destroyed, and literally Tenzin's father's spirit is lost to the abyss forever. And instead, she puts her hand on his shoulder and goes. She needs you now more than ever. No shit. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. The under because there's no human way that you can react to the insane cosmic scale that the writers have chosen for this season. There is no way to respond to it. So they're just like, oh. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> I wish that no one would superimpose Zoku. Zoku, wow, Zoku and Zuko. That someone should like superimpose Zuko saying that to Korra. Oh, that's buddy. rough, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> it works for every situation. <laughs> yeah, so so Saint Genora shows up and throws the power of friendship, and uh, Korra gets Rava back. Um. And... Then she returns to her body uh, in the spirit world. No, 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 world. no, 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 wait. But wait, wait. I got even... No, no. Then she does the thing, and this oh, is right, where right, I right. get really... This is where I get really bad. She does the little, like, oh, it's really ironic. The, the very thing. Yeah. The spirit water bending that Unalak himself taught her is now used to destroy him, and he's gone. Except mm -hmm. several things. Number one, that <laughs> technique never destroyed spirits. It returned them to the spirit world. Mm -hmm. It calmed the evil spirits and returned them. So number one... <laughs> How do you calm the spirit of darkness and chaos? Give it a hug. Give it a hug. Number two, Unalak isn't dead by the rules of the technique that they talked about multiple times earlier in the season. He's been returned to the spirit world. Mm. And number three, just the same way that Rava wasn't destroyed because light and darkness can't exist without the other, that means that Vatu is also not destroyed. And he exists in a little tiny ball of rage somewhere too. So yep. he's not even destroyed. <laughs> even if we wanted to argue that Unalak was destroyed somehow by that cool waterbending technique... Mm. Vatu isn't dead. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think, like, that part, the whole, you know, Unalak being, quote-unquote, dead, when he, yeah, he should just turn into a good spirit and return to the spirit world, as they do. Um, it makes sense for Vatu because, <laughs> like, yeah, it they've established that, you know, even if Rava were to defeat Vatu, like he would still reemerge eventually and like he wouldn't actually be gone. So like, I don't have a problem with that. Like they were never actually going to defeat Vatu, like for real. Um, but yeah, the whole, it, it, 
the whole thing is stupid. <laughs> All of it. Well, they, yeah, well, they act the entire rest of the episode like he's gone. Yeah, she, she like, literally tells <laughs> like, Eskin does not like, sorry, I killed your dad, but he was pretty bad, so it's fine. <laughs> and that's literally what they respond with, like, yeah, no, he's, it's cool. <laughs> he was kind of a dick to us. He tried to let me die, so. Yeah, instead of, instead of Janora appearing, it should have been General Zhao. He should have shot, I am not a dick. <laughs> just oh crash, just crashes into him, knocks him back, frees Cora so that she can get Ravivak. Yes, honestly. And then there's General Zhao lying there, and he's like, at least I died a member of Team Avatar. And they're like, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> so oh my god, we just spoiled all the quantum media. <laughs> It's fine. You don't need to see it. There's uh, nothing to spoil anyway. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't see Quantumania. Go see Godzilla vs. Yeah. Kong. Um, but uh, yeah, so Korra returns to her body in the spirit world and she rides. I mean, to be fair, this actually is a pretty cool visual. She rides Rava up to the top of the portals, which are at this point combined, and she separates mm. them, returning them to way, the way that they were before harmonic convergence. And mm. this is when she kind of makes the, I'm just going to say it, wrong choice <laughs> to uh, keep them open instead of closing them off like Avatar 1 did, you know, that they had been for the last 10,000 years, keeping the spirit right. world and the human physical world separate. Um, she wants to kind of, in a way, combine the two and no longer be the bridge, which I would argue, then what's the point? Because like, it, it doesn't make sense. Honestly, it makes more sense for you to be a bridge between the human and spirit world if they're interacting. But if they're separated, you know what I mean? If they're like separate, why is there a bridge? It, I don't know. Because the spirits in being in the human world cause a lot of problems and vice versa. Because human... they hate humans. This right. isn't the same world it was 10,000 years ago. Right. That's like and... opening the portal to hell and being like, yeah, demons and humans just have to get used to being around each other. Haha, <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for it anymore. Bye. Right. So you guys sort it out. Right. Um, so yeah, I think I mean, again, bold choice. Let's see how it plays out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, because there are certainly repercussions to that in the next two seasons, which that's something I'll actually commend the writers for because as I've been saying over and over and over again, ask any fan of Avatar Legend of Korra, they'll tell you season three is the best season. And I would agree mm -hmm. with that. Um, but in, I think the reason why it's the best is that they don't ignore this season. It would be so easy for them to just write off season two because nobody liked it. But instead, they actually tried to work it to their advantage and write something good from it instead of just trying to ignore it completely. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. literally, it's all I could think of. I was like, yep. thank God they didn't go that route. Um, but yep. yeah, they actually tried to make it into a good, cohesive story and have fallout and repercussions for season two, which is great and it works. Um, but yeah, so all that to say, like, I don't think that she made the right choice by keeping them open, but no. I mean, bold choice. I respect it. Can you imagine Korra season three being like Rise of Skywalker, where they're just God. like, somehow Fire Lord Ozai returned? <laughs> no, no, please, God, no. 
somehow Robert. Oh no! Somehow my Avatar spirits have returned. <laughs> no, <laughs> which I was expecting. I was literally expecting that to be a thing that would happen in season three or four, but it didn't. So I'll give them that. They they. Well, all she needs to do is go go find a giant lion turtle or something, because apparently they just snap their fingers and you get anything you need. So you know they got you. Um, it is at the time of what what is it Eva, that Aang said to her the season one finale. It's the time when at the, your, your lowest that yeah, you just opened the change. When we hit our lowest low, we're open to the greatest change. And oh, funnily enough, funnily enough, the next season of Legend of Korra is called Change. And God, did it need it! Like, oh my God, it's almost like the writers were like, damn, we got to correct this shit because nobody liked that season. <laughs> so they literally <laughs> called it change and they fixed it. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe they did it. You crazy son of a bitch. You actually did it. <laughs> <laughs> like I was this close to giving up on the show after this. Like, not going to lie. I'm the hardest hardcore Avatar fan, Legend of Course Stan, but like, damn, this almost broke me. But I was like, I'll give season three one episode. And if it is not good, if it's on this same level as this finale, I'm done. And then I was just like, oh my God, it was so good. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> like, it's like Avatar level quality. It's so good. And for what? <laughs> so they came out swinging and I, I'm i so excited for you to see it. But that's next episode. Um, yes. So we re regretfully, we regretfully need to give our ratings on this one. And I gotta tell you, you kind of read my mind because I really did take the IMDb rating and flip it on its head. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> no. I, I, I really seriously, unironically give episode 14 a light in the dark. I give it a, uh, a raucous 2.8 out of 10. Wow. That, that, I think that actually is the lowest score you've ever given any episode of Avatar or Legend of Korra. <laughs> It, the episode is a mess. It's not just bad and badly done. It's badly paced. It's badly written. The the number of contrivances in the episode just to make to try to create create artificial drama and conflict and then inexplicably resolve it with literally unexplained things, unexplained how the tree of time helps her get into this like astral projection state. It's also it doesn't even obey its own rules where it plays her memories, but then it also shows her something that isn't her own memory where it shows her what's <laughs> yeah. happening in Republic City. Uh, I thought that too. Like, I was like, uh, she didn't see that. What? Janora's <laughs> weird. We wouldn't notice, but we did. <laughs> yeah. Janora's strange, like, weird appearance to do inexplicably nothing the <laughs> the the vague destruction of unalak and how basically of like that's not the way to destroy him you should kill it with fire but okay um yeah it's just it's it's a very weird episode and i'm glad it's over and what did you think amanda what's your official rating mm, man i'm trying to be like positive here for once <laughs> um i think i am gonna go higher than you but again not by much i will give this like a 3.5 which i also think is the lowest episode rating i've ever given to any episode um because in the, the 3.5 goes towards the animation which is amazing the music also amazing 
the breakup scene between Mako and Kor, which I do think was genuinely very well done, and Varric, Varric showing up, <laughs> which he wasn't in the last episode, <laughs> but like he's in this one, yeah. even if just for a minute. So like that's hey, that's a minute of gold right there, baby. Um, yeah. So I'll give it a three point five out of ten. Oh boy. <laughs> It's Glad that's over with. <laughs> right now, onto the good. We did shit. it. We did we, it. We, we, we did it. We made we made through made it through season two. We and now we it are all officially halfway through Legend of Korra as a whole. Like that's wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, which is kind of crazy to think about. It's going by so fast because you know the seasons are remarkably shorter than Avatar's. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, the show's total episode account is a little bit lower. I believe a little bit shorter because it's like roughly 50 ish episodes or something instead of 60. I think it's like Avatar was. I think it's actually 60 episodes total. Like it, I think Avatar really? was 62 or four or something like that. And I think Legend of Korra is just a, a couple short of that. So yeah, <laughs> you gotta look that up. <laughs> yeah, because I thought I was crunching the numbers on it to see like how many there are. It oh, it doesn't tell me straight out the gate how many. Uh, 52. Yeah, 52. I knew it was somewhere around 50. Um, yeah. yeah, 52 episodes. Um, so yeah, no, again, you know, it, it, the, the show is almost as long as, as Avatar, but it, with it being broken up differently, um, yeah. the seasons being shorter. It feels um, like it's going you know, by a lot faster. <laughs> right. If it's a quicker leap from the start of a season to the end of a season. Um, and so on that note, you know, as you've said, it, it, you can only go up from here with the episodes, <laughs> but consider considering the fact that you put so much importance on the first episode of season three, that it was going to be make or break for you. Like, I'm very excited to see what they do. And the fact that you said there's repercussions, which is in, again, your complaint about season two was it's like, they forgot what happened in season mm-hmm. one. There was yeah. the, no one remembered Amon and all the stuff that happened in Republic city. It's like, it didn't happen. Exactly. And I'm still mad about that, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, for, from here on out, everything, all the stories and all the seasons flow into each other very, very nicely. Like it was actually planned out and not just a single season that they didn't know where to go from there. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. Um, because the show badly needs like, you know, co- co- cohesiveness mm-hmm. and coherence and accountability to the stuff that the plot lays down in advance. And if most importantly, most importantly, if this was Mako's lowest point, well, I can't wait to see where my boy shines. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So next time, next time we'll be uh, starting up Legend of Korra uh, season three. And uh, we will uh, see where it goes from there. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter 